There are three lovely chairs at the front here, and um, they're really comfy if you don't want to sit on the floor any longer. And there's one here as well, and there's one there. In fact, I'd like everyone to be comfortable right now. So there's more chairs here as well. Just put your hand up if you're next to a chair, and people on the floor can come and sit on comf- really comfy chairs. I call you to comfort this morning, you hard-working youth leaders who probably haven't sat down for... S- 72 hours. There's two chairs here. You could sit down for an hour and even fall asleep if you like. I'm very happy for that. I may fall asleep too. So uh, please feel really comfortable. That's great. Have we done all the chairs now? Right. Everyone else, too late. There you go. Oh, there's another chair there. Oh, look at the glory of that chair there. Look at that beautiful. And another one here. Come on. Just be comfortable. Come on. Just to, I'm not starting to everyone is comfortable. And we're ready to start. So, see, I'm the pastor. See, I can't cope. Just, is everyone happy in this room now? Oh, no, I shouldn't say happy. Comfortable. Yes, great. Okay, I'll make more of that in a minute. Okay, um, Wayne asked me to do this. In my head, I said no, but in my heart, I said yes. Because um, I'm actually responsible for, as I say, the pastoral care. I was up late last night uh, dealing with some stuff. And so, I'm tired. I may cry a lot. I may say some outrageous things. Please just filter all of that, okay? Um, uh, the guy who oversees partial care is not perfect. There's a shock, okay? Um, but I'm taking that, that this room is full of imperfect people as well. Um, and I think we're all aware of that. So we all come today saying, right, Steve Horn, help us to be amazing pastors. What do I need to do to fix all the issues and problems in my youth group? Is that right? So I'm going to give you five things that will deal with every single issue in your youth group. Okay, it's all right. And you're going to go from this place and you'll never have a problem with young people again. Is that okay? It's okay. Um, What it involves is you getting a milkshake and drinking and sitting down for a moment and saying, God, I thank you you're in my life. I thank you you're with me and you will cover all my gaps. Okay, so you can all go do that now if you like and that's probably will do you as much good as the next hour. Okay, now seriously... It's easy to come to things like this and say, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And I think you have young people coming to you all the time going, what do I need to do? Or older people going, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Yeah? And we could answer that question was, what you need to do is. Yeah? How often does, have you had young people go, I've got this in my life. What do I need to do? And you've said, well, what you need to do is this. Who's answered with that reply in the past? If you're honest. Okay. Certainly for eight years of youth leading, that often was my response. Now, by the grace of God, um, I think I conveyed a real passion and love for the kids that they sometimes ignored what I said, which was fortunate, but they caught that I was still for them and loved them. Does that make sense? And some of the things that they should do were actually there was some wisdom in there. But actually, for me today, what I want to say is not what you need to do, but what you need to know. I feel that that's, that's the most important thing I could do here. And I, 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 as I say, I'd love to tell you what to do, that's, and I'd like you to all be fixed and all be happy, but actually I'm more and more grey that I realise that isn't the answer. What is what you need to do? No. And particularly, what do you need to know about the gospel that actually is the answer for every single issue that comes your way? Every single nightmare situation, every single pain and difficulty... Every single, um, as Spur- I think Spurgeon used to say, every disorder of the soul, every, every ailment and difficulty in people's lives is fixed 
and, and, and given relief with the gospel. It's nothing else. And if we truly understand the gospel, and we understand what is the gospel that we need to give them in this moment, there's a promise that that will help them. Does that make sense? It will help them. So that's what I actually want us to look at this morning. Um, so I've called it knowing the gospel and what we believe. It's so important. And I, I have to say, I probably did a lot of pastoring. It's funny, until, until actually a new day um, where I actually burnt out because I didn't fully understand the gospel. I, I was a youth leader running around like a loon, probably like some of you. And um, there came a point where I tried to I tried to make everything better for my young people out of a really good heart. You, if you've got pastoral hearts, you know what it's like. It's an unending, isn't it? You see all the difficulty and you just want everything to be right. You want them to be safe. You want to be, and it is exhausting. Truly exhausting. And God was happy to have me in that place. And I've, I see the fruit of the youth ministry that I was involved with. And there are people all around this site serving, leading, leading churches out of that. So it was okay. It was enough. But when I wanted to start putting a pastoral structure into our church, at that point God said, right, now I really need to deal with you. I really need to get you clear on the gospel. And the way he first did that was not in here, but in here. He burnt me out. I was a wreck, and I was watching my kids look at me. I couldn't parent my kids. I couldn't husband my wife. And I had two weeks on the sofa, completely unable to do anything. And in that moment, he said, now, do you realize that I still love you, that you still have the same purpose and call on your life, and I am now going to use you in a way that you've always tried to be used? And this is how you're going to do it. And he birthed in me a sense of what is needed to see loads of people change in our church. And sort of what I'm sharing is that. And then, as I started to put what was in my heart into place in the church, I had some people come at me going, but you can't do that, and you can't do that. That's wrong, that's wrong. It's too simplistic, or something. And I had to then find myself, well, that, I don't think it's wrong, but I haven't got it in my head to know why that is, why it's right. So God took me through quite a transition of understanding, well, what, what do I actually believe about the gospel? What do I believe about sin? What do I believe about man? And how is he made? Because I realized I was a nurse for 10 years. I had been taught an image of what man is and what illness is and what suffering is that was actually not biblical. And that wholly affected my thinking. Okay? I couldn't, but I don't, if you'd have asked me, would you, I, I would have given you the right answer, but actually, in my un- ideas and the way I reacted to things, I was still a nurse. Does that make sense? Um, and we don't realize how the worldview hits us that behavioral management is the way forwards. Or if they can see, if you can strengthen the self, if they, if they understand themselves or they can be, if you can relieve pain, they will be okay. And we don't realize how often that just comes at us all the time as pastors and as people. The, the worldview is constantly about how are we going to change things. It's not about how is God going to change things. And we just need to recognize that. Straight off the bat, some of us believe, oh no, I know it's about Jesus. But actually, when you're faced with an issue, you react without that understanding. It's all about what I can do here now to help them. Does that make sense? What can I put in place to to make this all better? And we've already in there, and we haven't looked up to say, hey, wait a minute, what's God doing here? Does Does that make sense? Okay. So what is the Christian worldview? The Christian worldview says, God changed... 
The heart is where the battle is fought. It's not the head. Okay? It's the heart. And the heart can have a tendency to worship idols. Again, I, I hope out of this talk that you might understand some of the preaching that goes on, the, all the preaching that you're coming from the platform. They keep talking about idols a lot, don't they? They keep talking about worship. I hope, again, as pastors, you understand, that's why they keep going on. And that's how I can now help this young person move forwards, okay? Because you get the connection of, you're able to connect people with what they love, and this is amazing, and these truths are amazing, but how I now live this out. Okay, there's a connection. I just want you to know that. So that the heart has a tendency to worship idols. It, it actually, we were made for worship. And if we're not worshipping Jesus, we're worshipping something out. We're like a hose on. It's just spraying out and we're just trying to find some locust to grab hold of because we were made to worship God. And if God is not in view, we will worship something else. And again, partly why I've been a pastor is, I've probably worshipped, I'm a, I am a worshipper, that's one of the things I love worship, I love, but do you know what, I've worshipped so many other things of God to a great deal, some will say I've got an addictive personality, no you're not, you're just a worshipper who's easily distracted, I am very easily distracted, hence why I found myself worshipping many idols, pornography, food, money, possessions, comfort, um, TV, um, Lots of apps on my phone, as Simon was saying. I've, I've, had, I've been up at two in the morning trying to harvest crops on, on farming games. I've got really intensely upset and angry because someone just beat my clan. I, I've done it all. And when I realize I'm spending money on these things or I'm losing sleep, I realize, oh, I've gone too far again. And I find myself going, oh, Steve, when are you, you going to be satisfied with Jesus? But it's because I'm a worshiper. I can't just, it's constant. So hearts can be our tendency to worship idols, and the gospel brings freedom from these idols. So once we're stuck into this idol worship, I can't live without clash of clans every morning. Or another one that's still subtly always there is, say, coffee. If I don't have a coffee in the morning, I feel like, oh, I can't be awake now. Oh, God, just so grumpy. Where's the coffee? I've got to find sugar. Even, I mean, even in a new day, I will be... If I haven't got sugar and coffee, there's a problem here in milk. I, I, where's it going to come from? Just need to, and, and there's an element that's unhealthy, but I also find myself laughing at myself. But also there's an element where I'm just really tired and coffee just helps. You know, it's, it's a break. It's okay. Um, it's not going to kill me. But again, I'm always aware of that. Do you know what I mean? Just aware of that tendency. But the gospel, so I've got a coffee this morning. How am I going to hope? There was no ketchup for my bacon sandwich this morning. I mean, that is serious, isn't it? Come on, people. <laughs> It's, it's the worst kind, isn't it? There's a bacon sandwich, but there's no ketchup. I mean, that's cruel. Very cool. And then I had someone sitting next to me going, I have some ketchup in my bag. And I'm like, oh, thanks. But it's in my tent. <laughs> that's cruel, isn't it? That's cruel. It's bad. Very bad. And I have, they've had to repent and say sorry to me, so that's okay. <laughs> but in that moment, I'm forced with, right, so I can be really grumpy and angry now. I can even go and have a go at the catering team because you have not done your job. Or in that moment, I can say, Steve, it's just ketchup. You've got a bacon sandwich. You've got some food. There are people out there who have got no food. Come on. Get over it. And wait a minute. You have got the Holy Spirit, mate. Why don't you just pray about it? You might feel a little bit more alive. And actually, you might find yourself laughing at yourself, which is how it really went in the end, with a little bit of grumpiness first. But there was, there was joy and peace. 
So the gospel in that moment sets me free from my mini idol. Does that make sense? But if it's a massive idol, if it's become my life, do you know what? It still sets me free. That is our worldview. That is what the Bible says. So let's, let's be aware of something else. The gospel comes from God. These young people were created by God. And he has said, once they, when they come to know him, I will change you from one degree of glory to another. I will form you and shape you. I will craft you to image my son, the glory of my son on this earth. Yep. From that little prayer, or big prayer, or really clever prayer, but Jesus, come into my life, change it, I want to live for you. In those words, if you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart that Jesus is Lord and died for you, from that moment on, you are utterly changed. We believe that, don't we? Utterly changed. And if you get your young people telling their stories, which I'll go on a bit more, you will, I tell you, I defy you not to find a moment where at some point they believed, they may have said it in their mouth, but when they believed it in their heart, there's a moment in their life where suddenly something else is happening here now. They're still the same, same idiot, they're still the same selfish person, but actually something else is happening now. There is a change here. They're still really angry. They've still got no relationship with their parents or they've still got an addiction, but something else is now happening here. They are changing and is it me helping them change, or is something else happening here? And that, that something else is God. He's the one. And if you have nothing to do with them, you could leave them alone for a bit and come back. If that is what's going on, do you know, I defy you will see change. God can use you, but he doesn't need to use you. And sometimes you think you're doing everything, and actually he's not using you. It's the little friend who said something at school, and it just gave them the... Isn't that annoying, is it? Or... <laughs> I don't know as a youth leader, you preach to them for a year on this stuff, and then some guy you invite in who does a really rubbish preach, and you think, this is boring as, and you do it, oh, guys, if that's spoken to you, if as, you know, come forwards, and they all come forwards, and they're crying at, because they've just talked about the father heart or something, and they're like, loved, and you're like, I've been telling you that all year, what is going on, but I know you. But this guy, I get, it's God speaking to me. So it's just, you just, it's God, it's great, isn't it? It's good to know that God is on our side and actually he's doing all the work. He may use you occasionally, he may use you to love them carefully, he may use you a lot. Ultimately, you're just part of the, of the key, you're just part of the deal. And again, we need to know that, okay? My burnout came because I didn't realize I was part of it. I thought I was all of it. And that destroyed me. God still used me, but it, I didn't enjoy it. Okay? God's main pastoral agenda is to deliver us from sin. Jesus came into the world to destroy sin forever. And when he comes into someone's life, he comes to destroy sin forever, to deal with it. Okay? That's his agenda. He's not looking at, I want them to look like better prayers. I, I want them to be more regular attenders of your youth group. I want them to brush their teeth more. I want them to be delivered from sin. That is his primary. I want them to be happy. 
No, I want them to be delivered from sin, from wrong thinking. Pastoring should be discipleship-based to help the mission of church discipleship. What does that mean? It means it involves other people. Yes, your young person could go and live on an island and God could do something in their life, but actually stick them around a load of unhelpful Christians and loving Christians and even really guys who really wind them up and you'll see a lot of change. It's within relationship. It's within community. It's, it, that's seemingly God's preference. I'm not saying he, God always jumps out of the rules, doesn't he? He always jumps out of things. So we can't like, that's the only way he's going to work. The main way he changes people's lives is to stick them in this slightly broken but beautiful community. Does that make sense? And, and there's no way out of it. Okay, there isn't. And, and, but they keep hurting me. Yeah, yeah, but God's using that. I, I know it's hard, but he is using that. And he's using, but you're an idiot. Yes, I know, but do you know what? I think God's even using me in your life. <laughs> what, what, what do you find really idiotic about me? Well, you, you call, you, you know, you're just so judgmental. Okay, so I'm judgmental. So what, what is that? Is that a judgment? Or, do you know what I mean? It's like maybe he's using me to irritate you because there's things in you that, you know, all of that, you know. Okay, God's pastoring is comfort-based. So important that he doesn't come to make everything better, but he promises incredible comfort in the most discomforting, ridiculously awful, and even dark situations. What he does do is promise comfort he does promise deliverance he does promise the dealing of the sin he does do that but he might not do that straight away you only have to look at exodus and we look at exodus a lot in our church to know that 400 years lots of generations before he delivered them moses prepared for 40 years in the desert to go and say right now let my people go to do what lead them for 40 years in a desert. But what did he learn in 40 years in the desert personally was how to lead 40 for people 40 years in the desert as a people. Do you get it? It's like 40 years. But in it, they never knew sickness. They never knew hunger. Do you get it? But they knew heat and they knew desert. And they didn't know ketchup and TV and sofas. Or seats, even. So, so it's comfort-based. Well, how is God comforting this person? That's the evidence of God, not how is God sorting this all out. And then God's pastoring is grace-based. Even when they have totally annoyed you and you've given up hope of ever changing them, do you know what God does? He is open-armed. And even if they were flying Christians, they were prophesying and praying the most amazing one of your youth work, all your youth leaders, and they have fallen into some, the depths of sin. And you think, how could they ever do that? They knew God. And I, I put my name in there. I've done some things post-salvation that I'm more shocked and more upset about than anything I did before I was saved. Because it's outrageous. It's outrageous. And yet, I have learned even when I've done the really rubbish stuff, his arms have always been wide open to me. And do you know, I find myself always shocked. Always shocked. But the Bible says, I will always be there for you. The picture of the Bible always is about open arms. It's never about a pointed finger. It's never about crossed arms. God is not like that. That's not even in him for his children. Ever. But yet we somehow 
think of it ourselves. And the danger is then we can start thinking that, oh, they've gone too far now. Does that make sense? So there's some principles there about God, and then God's pastoring is heart-based. You see it again and again in the Bible. He really isn't bothered about outward actions. The lovely priests, the, the Sajdis, all their big prayers, he's saying, but you, your heart is so far from me. And then you've got others, yeah, this middle wipe just chucking in a cut. That is the most generous thing that has been done today. That is the most awesome thing. But it's nothing. Oh, but you only don't you don't look at the heart. I've got a kid who just they just come and they just sit at the back. But then when you find out what's going on in their life, when you hear of all the rejection and all the and even rejection within your youth group for them, and they're still coming, and you see the others at the front going, yeah. And you see them in the back going, what's the most worshipping heart in the room? How do you assess worship in your youth group? How do you assess maturity? I know what God does. And I know he's blown away with some of those acts. And the trouble is we're unaware of them, often. But he isn't, because he looks to the heart. Okay. The sin beneath the sin. Under every behavioral sin is the sin of idolatry. This is Martin Luther who knew what he was talking about, by the way. I've just used an old guy just to prove a point here. Under every behavioral sin is the sin of idolatry. Under every act of idolatry is the disbelief in the gospel. Such important to get this, okay? So whatever you see someone doing, doesn't matter how outrageous it is or how minor it is, if it looks like sin, it's the sin of idolatry. They are worshipping something that you're not aware of. And they're worshipping something they maybe they're not aware of. Does that make sense? It's coming out of here, rather. And that idolatry is a di- that at some point the enemy said, God is not enough. He's not going to come through for you. He's not going to take that pain away. He's never going to change you. You're hopeless. You're never going to count to anything. So, I must, so he's not going to help me, so I must trust something else. And so for us as pastors is, what are you trusting in here? They may say, but I know Jesus is helping me. I know, I know, I know, I know. No. Okay, that's great. But, but what are you trusting in then? And they're always trusting in something. Because they're worshippers. So all behavioral sins, this is quite declarative, but all behavioral sins are the result of idolatry. All idolatry is the result of disbelief in the gospel. And therefore, and this is huge, disbelief in the gospel is a result of thinking that something other than Christ will satisfy. Yet we know Jesus is better than anything. Okay? He's better than anything. The most amazing science, the most amazing counselor, the most amazing ministry, even in that, the most amazing little bit of doctrine that they might have to hold on to for the rest of life. But actually, no, Jesus is better than anything. Okay? We must believe that. So even if we get some things to fix people, we get some great medication, there's no longer pain, are they still trusting Jesus? Is, is so important. And it's really subtle. I, I use this quote. I don't think you'll be able to read it. But we rarely say, 
I'm going to set my heart on this thing and let it completely control my life. But that's exactly what happens. The, they live without... Um, the person you met and mildly enjoyed becomes a person you cannot live without. The work you undertook to support your family becomes a source of identity and achievement you can't give up. I'm going to read this again, and I, I'm speaking to you all now. Okay? So again, we rarely say, I'm going to set my heart on this thing and let it completely control my life. But that's exactly what happens. The person you mildly enjoyed becomes a person you cannot live without. The person that you've started to um, disciple you or mentor you is the person you cannot live without. That happened to me. I had a great elder. He left. I was bereft for a season. Because every time I had a pastoral concern, I went to him. And he wasn't there. And I felt, what do I do now? I had the Holy Spirit. I had God's wisdom. But for a season, it was just subtle. So people. The work you undertook to support your family, um, the work you undertook to support your family becomes a source of identity and achievement that you cannot give up. Or the ministry you undertook (laughs) to support your family because something you can't give up. The house you built for shelter and comfort for your family becomes a temple for worship and possessions. A rightful attention to your own need morphs into self-absorbed existence. Ministry has become more of an opportunity to seek power and approval than a life in the service of God. The things we set our hearts on never remain in our control. Instead, they capture, control, enslave us. This is the danger of earthbound treasure. Every human being is a worshipper in active pursuit of, of the thing that rules his heart. This worship shapes everything we do and say. Uh, a guy that I've read a lot of and I think is brilliant is we are all worshippers in active pursuit of the thing that rules our hearts. I've said it already. What we worship shapes us. And yet we all think, well, I'm worshiping Jesus, so I'm okay. Does that make sense? But actually, are we worshiping other things? Understanding the gospel. This is really important as well. Colossians 1. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. We know that. Just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. This is just an important point, and it's one that I got tackled with because what happened in our church is we put in place a ministry that was really about looking at whether people, what were the idols. We call it redemption, and it looks at the journey of Exodus. And obviously, Exodus gets right down to the rub of things that even when they got free and set free, they crossed, crossed the Red Sea, they saw all the miracles, they built the golden calf. They worshipped an idol. And actually, most Christians, and again, our course is for Christians, but most Christians so quickly seem to get themselves in a hole. I'm amazed how quickly I got myself in a hole once. I was, when I was saved, I was baptized in the Spirit. I was mad as crazy for Jesus. I, everything was about Jesus. But I was amazed how quickly and subtly I returned to the idols I'd worshipped before I met him. It's subtle, uh, but it's constant. And so we put this course in place, and some people, good-meaning people, and I understood why they were doing it, were saying, but we're, you're digging for sin. 
You're digging for sin. You're idol hunting. Why are you doing that? Look, people are saints. We're not sinners. Why do you keep asking where the sin is? We're saints. And you know, they're totally right. If you know Jesus, you're a saint. You're guaranteed to be in the throng before heaven forever. As far as your eternal value and security, it is all done. You could stop now and go and sin forever, and that won't affect your eternal consequence. But what it will do is give you a rubbish life for the rest of you. It will cause you so much torment and pain, which I care about, really care about. And it will take you out of representing Christ to others. So there are hundreds of people you might have influenced for the gospel, that mission thing, and you won't because you're worshipping sin. Does that make sense? So this is, so we, un- we just need to understand that, yes, we declare it all the time, but we also recognize that some of you are worshipping other things. You're just like the Israelites. And, and if we don't talk about it, if we don't speak about this situation, those who are worshipping other things and feel like, I just don't know God, or I'm, I'm struggling, or I'm oppressed, and, but I shouldn't be because I'm a saint, so I must be wrong. Or... The gospel doesn't really work. Or God is really angry with me, so that's why I'm not enjoying this worship. Not, oh, my heart has just shifted to a different place, and I'm not satisfying myself fully in Jesus. Does that make sense? And, and that is huge, okay? And either we, we talk about it, we preach about it, at the risk of saying, uh, undermining, but I thought I was a saint, but I'm still sinning. Yes, but look at the Bible. That's what the gospel says. At the moment, the day you heard, you were, financi- you were absolutely changed. But it also says, but it is now going to bear fruit in your life and grow. It needs to be nurtured and careful. You need to abide in Christ. You need to walk and live with the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit will come into your life. You can't do it without that. And just to look at the heart, the scripture divides the heart into two, uh, the, the human. And this was, again, was really important because out there, we, we are very affected by psychiatric medicine and the therapies of the mind, okay? And there is a common grace in God that there are mental health conditions, okay? They need expert help. So you must hear me right on this. But what it does is in our society we see we see people I'll use a long word like tripartite we see people with a flesh a, a soul a, and and a spirit okay and there's this element of the mind that needs to be helped for people to fully understand the gospel it, it, there's a it's just and for me what it led to was right so I can give them the gospel and that will sort they'll be I'll grow their spiritual man but they may they still need some stuff for their head does that make sense there's always there's something else needed here okay if i don't believe it's just the heart i need something else because the gospel works on the heart so if there's something else in man that needs regenerating or there's a different doctrine of man i'm gonna i need something else does that make sense that's the danger and, and i don't i'm sure some theologians here will say you've just represented really badly and i probably have because there's mystery how God made man is still, there's a little bit of mystery here. But the reality is fundamentally, for me, and I know, I know the fruit of what I've seen in, in our pastoring, is if I fundamentally believe that the heart, the inner spiritual, 
there's an inner spiritual self and then there's an outer metaphysical self. So there is a, and the synonym for the Bible I often use for the inner being is the heart, okay? If I believe that there's a heart that the gospel works on and then there's this flesh stuff that's separate, okay, that is like the thing that we have to control, okay? It's the thing that I have responsibility for. So God says, I'm going to sort your heart out. I'm dealing with that. But I now want you to learn to, to reign and rule. Just like Adam, I want you to name things. I want you to have authority. And I want you to learn to control your flesh. I want you to learn. As I grow your spiritual, as I make you aware of your spiritual power and authority, you can start reigning over this flesh stuff that seems to be right now messing your world up. Does that make sense? And I'm learning. And it's part of our training. Because if we're going to have responsibility, again, if God's purpose is for us to change society and to reign and rule in society, to change society, to make it good, to bring justice, peace, and... Well, if you can't start with your body, you can't run your body, then I'm not going to give you, the, I'm not going to give you this massive ministry for the poor. So that makes it, I'm not going to allow you to teach this, in a sense, although he does, <laughs> I'm thinking of myself, but he's saying, I want you to take this seriously. I want, but, and so it's not, it's got to be controlled. Okay? So the inner, the cinema of the Bible is, is, is the heart. The heart is our moral center and source of the same. When God comes looking for people, coming to account he goes to the heart he asks he sees the heart and he calls that to account he doesn't say your body or your mind you've been thinking wrong things he says what's in your heart is the problem does that make sense uh, with uh, or if you look at every bible situation where he brings judgment he's looking to the heart motive not to the behavior because sometimes he can seem to let, allow one guy to get away with something like lying rahab but a heart was to protect and care for people and yet on another case someone lied and they're totally taken down but why? Because it's what's in their heart. What they said in their mouth was the same, but their heart was different. The offering of the brothers. Both gave offering, but one's heart was angry and offensive to God. You see, so he, it's, that's what he goes for. It's the place of our accountability. It's the target within counseling. I say that the gospel is working in the heart. And it's also where all these idols get produced. Um, and they call their... Again, these Palestine guys, they, they talk about the, um, it's an Ed Welsh book, The um, Fancy of Affections. He says, your heart is an idol factory. And I, I know that for certain. I've got a big heart. God's given me a big heart for people to love them. But the problem with that is you just stick some little thing in there and it becomes quite big to me very quickly if, unless I put rain on it. So the very thing that God's given me to, to, to glorify him and to show that he loves people is the very thing that I have to take a rein on. I have to keep checking my heart. Where am I on with my heart? Because I've got this big heart that just overwhelms me. Does that make sense? And, and I, I'd imagine most in this room, if you're pastors, you've probably got similar hearts. Do you know, and, and so this is, a, this is a big thing. Okay. Um, how does this influence the way our hearts influence shape how the way we pastor? So why is this all so important? Well, our focus shifts away from changing a person's behavior to changing a person's God. So I, in a sense, I don't care if you carry on doing that. As long as you now realize, if, 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 I do care, but if you realize now that is a God in your life, then you're halfway to repenting from it. Does that make sense? But you're going to still fall in it, but you now see it as a God. For me, that's the big win. Because now you see it as a God, and not just as a, a legitimate exercise. So hard work, grafting, being at long hours at work is Okay. If my heart is, but that's because I feel so inadequate at home. Then do you see actually what you're doing is you're putting all your 
hopes in work. Oh, I haven't seen that. Me telling you, no, you need to get to work, get home from work, half past five, and be home for tea with your kids, and you need to start doing that. And I'm going to keep you accountable, and I want you to text me every time you work in, walk in the door, I want you to tell me that. But if you realize, oh, that's, that's an idol, that's a, that's a God, and it's going to destroy me, and destroy my family, and destroy my life, me, suddenly there's a different motivation there. I'm not going to get you to text me. I'm going to say, how are you this week? Does that make sense? It's just, it changes our focus same with pornography or um, self-harm. What is, the, uh, what is the thing I'm worshipping in that action? Again, self-harm is often a symptom of pain. But where's the pain? What is, you're, you're doing that because you're, you're struggling with this. What is that? Because then if you see that, the gospel deals with that. It shifts our, And then even people with good behavior can benefit from this way. So we have this course. Um, what has been wonderful about our course is that it was set up as a redemption course. It's a journey through Exodus. And I took all our leaders through it, and they realized, oh, man, I worship idols. And some of the most amazing leaders in our church, including myself. Oh, I don't, no, that's only bad, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I'm not a bad leader in the church. Um, we realized we all had idols. And, and actually, we repented. And do you know what? It was great because we could enjoy God more. And we, do you know what was more amazing? Is we didn't have to work so hard. We didn't have to try so hard because actually God, we felt, well, God's with me now and he's doing more. My trust is in God more. Does it make sense? So even good people, even some of the, even you could benefit from this understanding. So, so I'm, I'm the joke because I've done about 15 redemptions. Pete and Jack at the back who helped me, they, they've done, hard, and you'll see there's, they're glowing. They're, they're just amazing. But I, I, I seem to keep, Coming to redemption and seeing, as I said, ketchup, coffee, you know, the new app. I, I, I keep, I'm doing it again. Oh, God, I'm sorry. And, and I'll, I'll come back to you. See, that makes sense. So I, I feel like I keep going through it. And God, God was like, I, I just got to give this guy a ministry where he's just going to, I've got to, oh, it's just a nightmare. So let's give him this ministry lead. And, and I've given him something where, He's given permission, and this is the big thing about it, is all our leaders are in the process. So some of our best pastoral workers are in this process where every term, and they, they go, I'll do it. And that's how they do it, I'll do it. They love doing it because they see people change, but they go, I'll do it. Because they know, what, oh. and they'll, they'll be leading a group, and they'll be seeing a guy's, they'll see a guy's issue, a guy's idol, and they'll go, so can you just tell me, and they're not going to call it, they're going to ask it, I'll come to it in a minute, but they're asking, asking it, and they'll go, but what? When you say that the other day, isn't that the same? And they'll go, oh, pants. And then the whole group will turn on them. There's six guys in the group. And they'll go, yeah, yeah, because you said that as well the other day there. And you said that. So where's, it it sounds like you're trusting in that. And you're like, yes, 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 I I get it, I get it. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm now in the process and, oh, that means I need to stop doing that. Or I have to give that up. And actually, there was a little security in that. Actually, I realize now, and I don't want to do that. I think I can manage it. Oh, no, I'm going to have to give it up. So this process is quite painful. But the reality is, actually, we're meant to go through this process for the rest of our lives. If the, if, if the goal is to be like Jesus. If, if somehow you think, well, I've, I've, I've had the gospel, I've heard it enough, I've worshipped now, I'm actually, I'm, I'm getting quite close now, I'm doing okay. I don't need more of this painful redemption process. I think you've missed something of the goal. If you're not praying for everyone and they're being healed immediately and you're not, when you worship, you're on the, just so amazing. And you're, you're, not pray, you're not believing 
for everything of God and you're not seeing, you know, every time you share the gospel, people, then in a sense, I don't want to get into performance thing, but you know, we're not Jesus. We're not Jesus. So let's keep going with this process. Um, there's a great book I would recommend called Side by Side by Ed Welsh. Again, a mantra, a mantra in our church as far as pastoring is one, do everything in twos. Jesus sent them out in twos, okay? The reason we do that is that when someone is speaking, and they may be speaking some lovely truth, or they may be really listening intently to someone, the other person is watching. And they're watching what they're doing physically. They're even praying, God, help us here. Um, open this up. You know, just such a better way of doing it, isn't it? I used to pastor on my own all the time. Particularly when I became elder, I thought, well, I need to on my own now because I'm the elder. A part of my burnout. And yet now, I, will, I just don't want to meet with people. I, sometimes I get caught on your own and you end up pastoring because you just can't help it. I, I said, can I meet with you? But I'm going to bring this person in. Because either they're female, which is always a winner. But also, I know that they have a story that might be similar to yours. And as, the, as you unlock it, they would say, actually, God did that in my life. And, and they'll say, oh, I, can't, I can't change, I can't change. It's not going to happen. God's never done it. Well, actually, I've, this is what happened with my life. And they've got a story. Oh, do you know what I mean? So I'm adding something in all the time if I do it in twos. The other thing is, I don't want to do pastoring like this. That's terrible. Uh, what you need to do, because uh, I, I, I read a book the other day, and what you need to do is this, okay? But yet, how many young people come to you and say, I want to meet with you? I want to sit down with you. I, wanna, I want you to help me, yeah? So you immediately get into this pose. And what I, I, we say to our partial team is, don't do that. Just come with me. Come with me. So that's the issue. So, so, so that's going on in your life, yeah? So, where do, Where's God in all this? So, have, have you always struggled with this? But you become a Christian. So, what's been different since you became a Christian? And then, oh, actually, well, God did this, and he did this, this. So, what do you think God's going to do now? So, do you, it's totally different. So, who's got the responsibility here for change? Who's making all this happen? Jesus. Yeah, not me. And I've learned, actually, Jesus is really good at this. So the now the Lord and the Spirit are where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. We believe that, don't we? And can I also just remind you, the Holy Spirit is with you always. So when you sit with someone, the Spirit's here. So often I'm going, God, what are you doing here? God, please help me. And more, bless this person now. You work, Spirit. Even if I say a load of rubbish, I hope that what you say to them in their heart is enough. Again, I've, I've no responsibility, in a sense. Because I've asked the Spirit to do it all. And, and it says where the spirit is, there's liberty, there's freedom, there's healing. We saw that last night. Get up, pain go. Wait a minute, something's happening here. Something's happening here. And again, I don't know if sometimes when those healing is, there's a sense already, I think God's going to heal. The spirit's already here to heal. So you get, you get the guy gets up and releases it, but actually it's, the spirit already wants to heal here. He already, you know, there's an excitement. We're going to see some stuff here, yeah? Because this is what God does here at New Day. He heals people. Actually, he heals people at home. And I think Laura and Morrison, as a people, we're realizing God heals people in coffee shops. He heals people in our local churches. He heals people in our front rooms. Oh, so it's not just a tent. No, no that's tabernacle thinking. Yeah? He, he, he does it here and with us just going, 
oh Lord, just please pray, heal this guy. Yeah? So that's huge. So where the Spirit is, there is liberty, freedom, and healing. And, with all, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory. So again, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love pointing people, where's Jesus in this? What's he doing? Actually, your story sounds a bit like Jonah, because you got that call, and then you went that way, and now life's going really rubbish for you. That, that's a bit like Jonah, isn't it? So what did God do? Did God say, right, Jonah, that's it. I've given up with you. There's no hope for you. You're stuck in this river. And what did, what did what God do with Jonah? Do you reckon he wants to do the same in your life? So we can do it through scriptures, which is lovely, isn't it? That we can look at the Bible and say, do you see that? Your story, I love this now because I just love biblical stories because I think I hear people share some issues with and I think, oh, that's just like Ruth. Oh, that's just like Esther. Oh, that's just like Joseph. That's just like David. That's just like Peter. And so I will pray the story of Peter with them and say, let their story be your story because it's God's story. So that makes it because they, and then do you know what? It's like with Exodus, we see people really transforming Exodus. Exodus becomes their story. They get it. I'm like them. And God's doing that. And actually I see he went all a long, long journey with them. Ultimately they came into the promised land. We find ourselves in his story. It's amazing. The most, okay. And this is just a highlighter point. The most important counter in a pastoral care context is not with the counselor or the youth leader, but with Christ. Um, just a quick one. Um, I'll just leave you these quicks because, um, it's, again, it's another mantra for us. Is We talk about love, no speak, do. This is from another book called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul Tripp. Um, so I've talked about Ed Welsh, Side by Side. That gives that sort of mentality of side-by-sideness. It's a really helpful book. Also about how do you ask questions that point people to Christ rather than to, to them or to yourself. So it's a really helpful book. But this other book, Instruments, is a book that we've done quite a lot of work with. We've made it our own. But at the same time, I love it because I can remember it. And I, so many pastoral tools or keys, or I just can't remember them. <laughs> but this one's quite simple. Love, know, speak, do. So when we have people, uh, particularly new people coming into our church that we don't know, and we see some really rubbish behavior. Do you know, they're gossiping all the time, or they're being really rude, or do you know what? They always seem to back off. I don't know, they're just so, it's almost rude. We could go in and say, oh, rude. You need to sort that out. That is not Christian behavior. You were quite harsh with them. That's rude. That's naughty. Yeah, we could. I know you wouldn't, but I'm just saying that's, that's one end of it, okay? But actually, what we could do is first love them. Love them in that behavior. That's what Jesus did with us, yeah? So God loves us first. So our priority is to welcome and love one another. So, again, this has really helped us, particularly because we're really trying to reach people who are not from Christian. We're not from people of other churches. We, we desperately want to see people who are not churched because that, that harvest is huge. In, in Brighton, you know, maybe, I don't know, about 40,000 people may go to a church of some sort, but we're aware there's about 400,000 that don't. What, what are we going to fix our eyes on? Do we want, it's not that God doesn't care for his people, but we really want to learn how do we reach those people who don't know Jesus? And you know what? They come really messed up and they come saying some rude words and they come with some loads of addictions and smoking. They come with loads of bags of idols. 
Again, just warning you, uh, don't start looking at their bags until you start looking at your bags. But they come with bags of idols, bags and bags, because they have had to survive life without God. So they've had to trust in numerous things, all of which have messed them up and made it worse. But actually, they've done it because they just wanted to survive. They wanted to make the life. They were told, if you do this and this and this, you will be happy. They've believed for so many false heavens of retirement funds and nice houses and holiday experiences and success and money, um, iPads and iPhones. They believe that these things will all make me happy. So they've gone crazy for these things. They've just been chasing heaven, but it was a false heaven. Relationships, the whole lot. Control. All of that is a false heaven. And, and they now come to you going, so what's this Jesus like? What heaven are you chasing? That's, that's all they're asking. That's why they're there. Who's this Jesus? I hear he helps people. I've got a friend who's just been totally transformed. And he's happy now, or well, most of the time. Smiles more anyway. Uh, how, how did you get this? That's basically what you've got. But they're going to come with all this behavior. So first, let's just love them. You can stay here and be as horrid as you like, as long as you're not hurting anyone else. Okay? Maybe offending a few people who maybe need to deal with that themselves. But you're not hurting anyone because we're shepherds. Right now, I can tolerate most of your behavior. And I, some of it I probably need to just have a little work with because you just realize you just, you just upset a lot of people. I'm really sorry. You know, we, we want to love you, but, that, but everything else. You need to go and leave a have fag? Fine. Because I know God will get to that one day. He may never get to it. Spurgeon smoked two cigars. He was the most amazing preacher of God, and he smokes two cigars. God never seemed to say, Spurgeon, stop this. He may have done it. Spurgeon go, oh, come on. Let me have that one like my coffee, you know, he might let you have one. <laughs> as, long, as long as you see that's God given me. I love God because he gave me cigars. Okay, if you've got that in your head, that's fine. But the reality, and the reality is he's not going to get rid of all of them as well, just to help you with that one as well. Perfection, again, that really helped me as a pastor. Perfection comes in heaven. None of us actually truly will be like Jesus because he was the son of God. So actually some of us will run with some addictions and some idols banging along till we get to glory. But you know what? Once we get to glory... They're all gone. We even come with some hurts, the disappointments. They'll all go, but when we face Jesus, they'll all fall away. We as pastors want them all to go now. They won't, because God isn't asking that of them. So we shouldn't. No, again, we need to get to know people first. I've made a huge mistake in the past, and even recently I had a guy call me up on something where I, I challenge some behavior that I thought was heart, but actually I had missed a lot, a key part of his story that was to do with me, and he didn't actually feel, he, I, was I really for him? So I was challenging him. I thought he, I, I thought he knew I loved him. I really thought a lot of him. I really thought, so I thought I'm in a safe place now to speak that out. And I may have been right, I might have been wrong, but what I did do was cause hurt. But it's because there were elements of things I'd said or done in the past that weren't quite well chosen or quite thought through, and so I was, and it was all wrong. Does that make sense? So I'll just tell you, I get this wrong still. But if we get to really know someone, we know their story, you know, so, and again, as I said, behavior is a response to idolatry, which is wrong thinking in God, and we just need to know, why is that? So you can have two people self-harming, you can have two people with depression, you can have two people looking at pornography, and the reason they're looking at it is totally different. The reason they worship it Actually, they're not, there's an idol underneath that leads to it, 
that is totally different. And actually, the gospel wants to deal with that rather than the pornography. So, I mean, so it, it, you've got to know what is underneath this. We get caught up with behavior. We get caught up with self-harm. We get caught up with pornography. We get caught up with anger or malice. Or, but what is underneath this? What are they threatened of losing, which is why they go at you? When you start poking around or something happens in their life, they get really angry. You think, oh, you can't be angry. No, 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 no. Why is that happening? What's at threat here? Because that's the idol. Does that make sense? That, that's, and that's what we need to know about because that's where the gospel can deal with that and everything else can fall away. So knowing is huge. And we do a lot of, we try to get stories. We always say, what's your story? What's your story? Tell me your story. And your story through to God and post. What are the meaningful things? And we do this in redemption just in 10 minutes. Um, when we go, if we want to go a bit deeper with people, we, wanna, we see that they probably need to make some bigger steps we would go do lifelines. We'd go through and do lifelines with them. Um, again, if you look at one helpful way, it's like if you look at Joseph's lifeline, it's crazy. But you can see God in it. And it's like when you see someone's lifeline, what is amazing is you see the downs and the ups, and they're like this. But what you see is when they become a Christian is the lifeline actually changes. They're still up and down, but something else is happening. And the lifeline becomes more about God and them. Does that make sense? But they still think it's them. But when they see their lifeline, they were, it's God. God's in my life. Yes. Oh, I thought he'd left me years ago. Does that make sense? So story and life. So knowing them, what, is, what has God made you for? What has he done for you? Where has he worked in your life? If you know those things, you have so much more permission and ability to bring the gospel to them. And then speak. We don't like it, but when we see sin, at some point, if we know them well enough, Someone has to say something because sometimes they're blind to it. By love, we say, I just wonder what, if this thing feels really important to you. I just think this relationship's become, seems like bigger than Jesus. We say it in love, but we call sin. We call idols out. We say, I just, what do you think? And hopefully, if it's a Holy Spirit inspired moment, they will start to cry. They will start to say, do you know what? I think you're right. I've been thinking this for months. I just didn't know how to get out of it. Does that make sense? It's the, so it, if you don't speak, you don't get the moment. And God spoke life and freedom and liberty, and we get to do the same. Our words are powerful in the gospel. And we say, do you know what? I th- you are free of this because you know Jesus. Again, we, we, I think we could operate in more authority de- declaring the gospel over people's lives. I really do. If we truly believe the power of it, then you are free. You are healed. You are released and called to be who you are in God. So, and then the do, and this is something I've learned, actively apply the insights God has given you to daily lives. They see it. They've spoken. We've repented. We've prayed. But actually, repentance has changed. What do you now need to do to keep walking in that direction? And that is the thing that, for years, I was really lax on. And just being practical, I think there were guys I've called on pornography or actually what I didn't ask was what level of pornography. But I said um, to one guy, you need to tell your wife. And, um, but I, what I didn't do was put a deadline on it. I told him to do it, but I didn't put a deadline on it. I left it. That guy descended into some very bad pornography, terrible, and eventually took his life. I'm not, I'm not saying to shock you, but... All I had to do was put a simple deadline. Come back to me when you've done it, or I'm going to ask you again in a week if you've told your wife. 
And if not, actually, I probably need to, we need to talk. You need to get someone to sit down with her. Because otherwise, there's no accountability in your life. Does that make sense? So just the do is so important, but it's done gently, carefully. And it's also asking, what do you think God now, what do you now need to do to be free of this? What, are, what is God showing you you need to do? Is much, again, side by side, rather than saying, what you need to do. Does that make sense? It's just, and do you know what? I find God always tells them. God, God tells them. Or tells you, and then you can sort of go, well, what, oh, what about that? Or you could do that, or you do that. And they're like, do you know, that's it, I should do that. They're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Because, but have they owned it in their heart? Then we're on a winner. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I've, uh, yeah, okay. I'm running out of time, aren't we? So, I'll just finish with this. Um, I think New Day shows you something. I don't know about you as youth leaders, but you're probably going, what's coming back today? What's happened in our young people's lives? They've gone and listened to that preacher, or they've gone to that seminar on whatever, and you see them, I'm going to go to the um, you know, self-harm center, I'm going to go to the depression center, I'm going to go to the addiction center, I'm going to go to the relationship cinema, and, and you, um, I'm going to go to the homosexuality center. And you think, I wonder what's going to come back. Yeah? They, I, if, I'd imagine you're thinking that most of the time. And you're thinking, oh, Joel Virgo keeps causing me a lot of problems. But I think sometimes you think they come back with the sin or the suffering. They suddenly disclose something. You think, oh, that is so awful. And I feel, and I, this is just horrible. In those moments, I've learned, and doing referrals really helped. I go, that is really horrible. But thank God that is now known, and that is in the light. That is sin or suffering that I now, God, not only I know about, but God knows about although you knew already, but it's out there, and they know about. And so now God can get to work. It's going to be horrible. Yeah, but God is going to be in it. So does that make sense? So I know, I know it's tiring to have, but then, guys, when you go home, every Sunday, encourage me, go for it, mate. You preach, you preach all those horrible words that we go, oh, no, and you're sitting next to the guy. But I hope you, sometimes you're going, just get this. Just see this. Please see this. I know that's going to mean you're going to do that and you're going to have to go through a painful thing here or you're going to have to face someone that I know is going to be really hard for you. But please do this. Preacher. So I'm, I'm not a preacher normally. I'm sitting listening going, God, just do it. Do it. Preach that thing. Go for that gospel. Go on. Let it rip. You know, Adrian, preach everything. And in emotional harm and go for the lot. I want to see chaos in this room. Why? Because whatever comes my way, I will feel overwhelmed, but God has got it totally covered. And actually, I'm part of a team, and I'm part of a church, and I've got some great leaders and elders, or I haven't, but do you know what? God's going to use them anyway. That would be my testimony, okay? He used me, and they're going to help me. I'm ne- Again, this is the other thing. You're never alone in it. And you've got better youth leaders than you realize, probably. You've got amazing young people who are more amazing than you realize. Once you start getting their stories, you'll realize... I never knew that about you. Oh, that makes sense now. So that's why, and you, wow. So I used to do the redemption with some of the leaders I worked with. And I was like, they, I just thought they were holy and they were birthed holy and amazing. <laughs> you, you do, don't you? You see some of these guys, you think, they have never sinned in their life. I'm sure they just repented. Jesus, I'm so sorry for, for saying poop when I was three. And... Um, Come into my life. And you think, that must have been it. And then you hear these stories, and you're like, 
whoa. And then you, you realize that they never were able to speak in public or, or they could never, they, they just avoided confrontation all the time. And yet you see them doing it all the time and you go, oh my my, that is incredible. I've seen them doing it every day. I thought that was just them. Oh no, that, was, that is an incredible work of God. I would encourage you, ask your leaders stories, ask your kids, get to know them so much more because you know what, once you start getting to know them, I love that under here because God is doing so much more than we realize all the time and the stories are amazing and your young people are incredible because why? Because God is with them and it is incredible and I just want you to feel that like you don't need to be, I, I, I'm great that you have training and equipping and I think we want to be as great as we can. If you do a job, you want to be, but do you know what? I want you to say, we could take on anything. I've got a great team and I've got, and with referral I learned, do you know what, I know God can do any of this. Even the really big, horrible, nasty, difficult pastoral things, really gut-wrenching, I know God, you've got it and I know you can use anyone in my team to help do that. And I've always got these guys I can talk to. So I want you to feel like that. I want to feel like we can take it all. And so you start praying every Sunday, preach it. When you preach yourselves or when you're sitting down with them, go for things. Because you know God's got it. And he wants to set them free. He wants to heal them. Go for praying. Go, go again praying for kids who are sick. Go again praying for those situations. Go, go again bringing words of comfort to what you know is a really painful situation. Go again and ask, how is that now? Knowing that that may be a painful conversation, but I want to bring more healing and comfort to it. Go again. Because God is with you. And the gospel is amazing. And it is incredible. That's it.